Cerebral is an online mental health service that offers prescription medication, counseling, and therapy for anxiety, depression, ADHD, insomnia, and more. Cerebral is one of the few services that provides prescription medication online through a licensed provider and ships medication straight to your door. You can schedule sessions based on what's most convenient for you, and you don't have to wait weeks to be seen. And BuzzFeed Daily listeners can receive 65% off your first month of medication management and care counseling at Cerebral.com slash BuzzFeed. Go to Cerebral.com slash BuzzFeed for 65% off your first month. Join Cerebral today on their mission to make quality mental health care accessible and affordable for all. The new year is a great time to reset your relationship with your emotions. We all experience things that don't feel so good. Stuff like sadness, anxiety, burnout, and guilt. But in 2022, I want to help you look at these emotions in a new light. I'm Dr. Laurie Santos. In the new season of my podcast, The Happiness Lab, I'll show you that the path to happiness actually involves embracing your negative emotions and listening to the important things they have to say. So listen to The Happiness Lab in the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever felt depressed about work, only to have your dad be like, why are you so down? So you told him you hate your job, and he said, well, you better talk yourself out of it. And then you thought, hmm, I love to talk. I could host a podcast. And then you went to Spreaker from iHeart and started a podcast and got good at it, then monetized it, then quit your boring job, then told your dad, thanks for the advice. And he was like, well, that's not what I meant, and I don't understand what a podcast is, but you seem happy, so that's great, kiddo. You ever do that? Well, you could. At Spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. Ask your dad. Yeah, actually, don't. A woman on TikTok is speaking out about the stigma she faces for wearing tight clothes. Zendaya opened up about feeling financial anxiety. And we're joined by Inverse's Eric Francisco to discuss the origins of Shang-Chi and what the character means for the MCU. It's September 8th, 2021. Hey friends, I'm Casey Rackham. And I'm Shyla Watson. Welcome to BuzzFeed Daily. Shyla, I know. I mean, I, I cry very often. Yep. Mm-hmm. Once a day. That's usual for me. <laughs> but uh yesterday I was forced to cry from Steve from Blues Clues. <laughs> Which is not something I would think would happen in the year 2021, but it, it very much did. <laughs> it is, you know, because apparently it's the 25th anniversary of Blues Clues. So they brought the original Steve back to just kind of like do this little video on the Nick Jr. like Twitter where he just like in a very like earnest and like loving way spoke directly to camera aka to all millennials and was just like hey how you doing bud and he just please please listen to it it's so good I mean we started out with clues and now it's what student loans and um, jobs and families and some of it has been kind of hard, you know? I know you know. And I wanted to tell you that I I really couldn't have done all of that without your help. Why do I have chills again? I'm going to start crying. That was so wholesome. It is. He's basically just like, you're doing great, bud. We're all in this together. I'm proud of you. You know what? And Casey, I was just like, I needed Thanks, to hear Steve. that. I needed to hear that. I know. <laughs> I know. No, no affirmations in my life have felt as good as that one from Steve. <laughs> right. How do I record it and make that my ringtone? <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm going to. Oh, good idea. <laughs> 
All right. In other news, TikTok user Faith Montoya used a new trend to point out how people have been conditioned to think plus size women shouldn't wear tight fitting clothing. In the video, she first says, quote, I can't wear tight, short dresses like this because my boobs and body being bigger makes everything look inappropriate. She then plays another person asking, quote, who told you that? At which point the realization about how bogus the discrimination is sets in. Comments started rolling in from other plus-size women who felt they had to be careful about what they wear, too, because of comments made by family and friends. Faith spoke with BuzzFeed about the video, saying, quote, I'm disgusted by the lens that people have been conditioned to see bigger bodies through, especially because that sexualization starts at such a young age. I don't think women should have to worry about offending anyone with what we wear. Our clothes are not the problem. Our, quote, bodies are. And we can't change that. We can't just leave the thighs and hips at home. Yeah, I mean, this is whole thing. The whole thing that I've learned is just like it's just like you know, like your clothes are the your clothes are the problem. Your body isn't. If the clothes don't fit, that's their fault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go find some other clothes. But it is that's upsetting because you can know that you can know your worth and you can know what your body is. But when society continually tells you that you're wrong and your body is wrong, that hurts you and it and it fucks with your mind. Like there's no other way about it. I kind of, I'm honestly just thinking about, I mean, like instantly you think about like all the school dress codes where they're saying like, you can't wear that. And it's like, no, you're sexualizing them. Stop it. They can wear whatever they want. But I also thought in a different way, I was told growing up not to wear horizontal stripes because it'd make me look bigger. Who the fuck cares if I look bigger? (laughs) My God, let me wear the stripes and pretend I'm nautical. Yes. Pretend I'm nautical. Stop. Oh my gosh. Um, But no, that's real. I feel like uh, we get policed in our clothing too much. And there are all these, quote, fashion rules that we have to live Mm. by, like your stripes one or not wearing crop tops that show your midriff or like whatever the case may be. Um, And yeah, I don't I don't care for that one bit. And I'm not doing it. I'm going to wear a striped crop top. Do it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So moving on, Zendaya recently shared that she has so much anxiety about her finances that it's become a frequent topic of discussion with her therapist. She told British Vogue that while her mom tends to save money, her dad is more of a spender. And so both attitudes have affected her own. Zendaya said, quote, the hope is to have a career where you can be in a position financially to just do things you want to do because you enjoy the work and not have to worry about the other things. But I'm always like, I will always need to work because if I don't work, then everything can be gone tomorrow. This is, I really like the fact that, you know, I feel like with therapists, people just talk about their feelings. And I mean, this is a feeling, but it's also about finances and I think that that's really refreshing. I haven't heard that be like a common thing, you know? Yeah, you know, I I have some friends where that is a thing that really does depend on your upbringing and what your financial situation was and stuff like that. And that is like such an anxiety. Money is like a weight on you. You want to feel you want to feel safety and you want to feel comfortable at the same time. But I I like totally understand it. One hundred percent. I'm such a big saver. So like this whole thing stresses me out. But I think that that's like cool that she's being honest about it. And I also think like in that piece, she also talks about how like if you're financially able, like everyone should be going to therapy. And I like truly believe that. I think like what you're saying is a good point too, where it's like, oh, I don't need to go to therapy. I'm like, don't have anxiety. I'm not, don't have anything emotional going in my life. It's like, no, you can talk about other things. You can just talk about life. Yeah. No, it's, it's so true. Um, and I really feel like more and more stars are speaking out about money because they have like, don't get me wrong. They are extremely privileged, but they also have a career where it's completely unstable. I mean, you know, you, they're basically freelancers. Um, (laughs) So, you know, and she's very young. And so it's, I guess, smart and prudent of her to be thinking about this long term. 
and figuring out how she's going to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So over the holiday weekend, Marvel Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings hit theaters. Casey, I love this movie. It's so good. And I hate how you say theaters. <laughs> okay, continue on. <laughs> We are really excited to talk about this today because the film's release involves a lot of major milestones. It's Marvel's first film to get a theatrical-only release since the start of the pandemic, first of all. And because of that, it's breaking huge box office records for the year, already ranking in close to $150 million. And, guys, this marks the arrival of the first Asian superhero lead into the MCU. Today, we're doing a deep dive into the Shang-Chi character. It was first introduced back in the 70s at Marvel, and it took a lot to bring it to the big screen. Joining us today to talk about this is Eric Francisco. He's a senior entertainment reporter at Inverse, and he just wrote an amazing series all about the origins of Shang-Chi. Hi, Eric. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi. I'm, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks again, guys, for having me. So first off, I just want your immediate reaction to the film. What did you think of it? Oh, it was fantastic. To my eyes, it was the kind of knock them down Hollywood martial arts movies we haven't seen in a very long time. You know, back in the 2000s, there was that string of Hollywood-made Jet Li movies, Jackie Chan movies. They kind of vanished as Marvel and John Wick kind of took over. Shang-Chi felt like a real throwback to that era. Um, independent of the representation that's on the screen, I just thought the movie was a good time. It was yeah. reminiscent of all the best superhero movies. I'm a huge superhero nerd, clearly. <laughs> I still hold like Richard Donner's Superman to like high regard. I thought Shang-Chi is like on par with Superman, Dark Knight, Black Panther. Yeah, it was just a great time, man. In terms of it being like separate from it being a Marvel superhero movie, I liked what you said of it just being a, a great film. I've been seeing like a lot of TikToks of someone being like, my partner didn't want to go see the movie, but this is her after it. And it's just her like on high alert pretending she's in an action film. And it's like, yeah, it's got everyone's like blood going. They're like yes, ready. It's very good. <laughs> I heard that from some other people like, and they said, yeah, I had no interest in this movie. And I'm very curious as to like why that is. Is it because they're not used to martial arts movies, which is again, that's fine. Uh, that's totally okay. But I think there's it speaks to the power of the Marvel brand that Marvel can kind of, you know, pay homage to these weird genres that haven't been in Hollywood in a long time. But using, you know, the Marvel Universe as, as a, a, you know, come over and hang out with us for a little bit. Uh, I think that way people discover new genres and figure out like, oh, maybe I do like Kung Fu movies. <laughs> yes. Now, I mean, you mentioned yourself that you are a superhero comic book nerd. So was this something that you had actually been waiting for, you know, a film starring an Asian lead? Absolutely. For a very, very long time. You know, uh, you hear this a lot from POC uh, pop culture lovers. You know, we love all the heroes, Indiana Jones, Luke Skywalker. But like, it was hard to relate to those characters because they often don't look like us. And there is something to be said about seeing a version of yourself that you can kind of idealize for yourself. Like, sure, I'm never going to be a magical kung fu master, but... If I grew up with a character like Shang-Chi, I could imagine for myself, oh, I could do whatever it is I want to set my mind to. Uh, and that's a very powerful message. And it's important that, you know, people of all stripes grow up seeing those images. So, yes, I, uh, you know, growing up when I was a kid, I had very few comic book heroes I could look up to. I mean, obviously, every kid loves Spider-Man. And the reason is, is because because of that mask, you could imagine yourself a little more easily than anyone else. Before that, though, like, I think the one superhero I imbued so much uh, passion into was uh, Adam from Power Rangers. He was the Asian Black Ranger, one of the few examples of, like, a heroic Asian lead and a superhero thing. But other than that, I grew up with very little. I didn't discover martial arts movies until much later when I was a teenager, but even then, they're not superheroes. They're just 
awesome dudes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, as far as like crime fighters and, and saving the world, you know, that was very hard to get for a long, long time. And then, but now, now we're, we have an embarrassment of riches. We have Shang-Chi, we had Snake Eyes earlier, and there's going to be more on the way. So, I mean, how aware were you then of the Shang-Chi character? I mean, if you didn't have him growing up, like, did you read the comic books or was this something that you only discovered once the project was announced? Sure. I, I discovered Shang-Chi kind of by accident. Uh, when I was reading the Marvel comics as a teenager, I came across a character called Iron Fist and I was fascinated by him. I was like, ooh, interesting martial arts superhero. Let me learn more about him. And then when I found out he was, um, you know, a, a white guy who practiced martial arts, I was like, oh, that's a little little disappointing for me personally because I thought he was a character I could like really latch on to. But through, you know, just the way the internet works, when you Google things, I came across Shang-Chi over time. Hard to read the comics because his comics specifically, and, and we can get into it if you want, his comics specifically were very hard to find. Uh, they lasted 10 years from 1973 to 1983, which is a lot of comics. And yet, just the way the comic book industry kind of shook down throughout the 80s and 90s, his comics became so hard to find. By the 90s, they were stalking X-Men and, and Spawn and Image Comics and Spider-Man. So like Shang-Chi was like this weird 70s thing that no one wants to touch because, you know, who, who shows interest in them? The hot thing right now is Spider-Man and X-Men, you know? So go, go, even going into like a comic book shop, you really had to dig in and find Master of Kung Fu if you knew it existed. This is like pre-internet, so it's like, uh. So yeah, Shang-Chi really fell by the way side he had a couple issues here and there but like again only like hardcore fans knew about it and as a teenager growing up in like the 2000s you're not going to be exposed to that stuff right away so i knew about shang chi through the internet and then years later when the iron fist show was coming out i was like oh wasn't there another character i did my googling again and i found shang chi and i'm like that's the guy who should you know have a place somewhere in the marvel cinematic universe you know to understand how needed this film was, I think we do have to go way back, you know, to the characters' origins, which are honestly quite racist. You really explored this thoroughly in your series for Inverse. Can you explain the comic origins of Shang-Chi and specifically his father? Sure. So uh, I think we should start with the father first and foremost, uh, very quickly. His father in the comic books was Fu Manchu. Fu Manchu was a summation of the Yellow Peril images. He was kind of a amalgamation of all of them, wrapped up into like a supervillain that, you know, uh, who had to be taken down in like all these pulp novels, these, de these detective novels, which were the forerunners to the superhero stuff. He was so popular. Fu Manchu was his own Marvel universe in like the 1960s. He had a bunch of movies. Christopher Lee from Lord of the Rings. He played Fu Manchu in a bunch of movies. So by the time Marvel got around to creating this character Shang-Chi, and I'll get into his origins in a little bit, they needed a familiar Chinese villain to latch onto because he had the cachet. Marvel, to their eyes, they were taking a risk creating this ethnic superhero. So they needed something familiar that mainstream audiences could recognize. And when you put Fu Manchu on the cover, they're like, oh, I get that. I'm going to pick that up. Shang-Chi himself is another uh, whole history there. Uh, way back in the 1970s, there was this very popular TV show, Kung Fu, starring David Carradine. Just for comparison, this was such a popular show. It drew in an average ratings of like 28 million viewers. For comparison, Game of Thrones, the penultimate episode, The Battle of Winterfell, only drew in like maybe 14, 13 million viewers live. So that just goes to show how big the show was once upon a time. And that show has also entered sort of the popular consciousness in its own right. It's been rebooted now, which is great on the CW. But back then, yes, the show was a big touchstone for the creators of the comic, Steve Englehart, Jim Starlin. Steve Englehart also created Star-Lord for Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh. 
Jim Starlin also created Thanos. Uh, and in fact, when I spoke, but when I spoke to Jim Starlin for, for this interview uh, as well, for, for my stories, uh, he was wearing a Thanos shirt on Zoom, which was great. Uh, they're both <laughs> lovely gentlemen. Let me make that clear. They're both lovely gentlemen, very empathetic, very understanding, very, very good guys, honestly. And they, they actually went to the premiere of Shang-Chi as well. But they, they were influenced by this Kung Fu TV show because they'd never seen anything like it. And admittedly, yes, the show was very fascinating at the time. Uh, so they wanted to create an Asian superhero for the Marvel Universe. They were influenced by this and other Kung Fu movies coming out at the time. Uh, so they kind of put two and two together. They had this Kung Fu superhero. They need something else to latch it onto. There was Fu Manchu. And there was a whole history there in my article about how kind of DC comics kind of uh, uh, influenced that decision. Uh, in the 1970s, Marvel and DC's rivalry was pr- pretty much at its fever pitch. It was like that's when they were really, really competing at each other's throats. Uh, they had spies at each other's publishers. Uh, and I, according oh, wow. to Roy, yeah, according to Roy Thomas, some of his uh, friends slash insiders said that like hey uh marvel is going to pursue this kung fu comic book we should do one as well and the publisher at dc at the time carmine infantino he was like uh they could do kung fu we'll do fu manchu don't know don't ask me why he made that connection but roy thomas the editor at marvel at the time he heard that and he's like i'm gonna scoop fu manchu from them uh so that's why fu manchu is this very problematic villain is involved in the marvel universe it's kind of born out of the marvel dc rivalry that uh still kind of continues to this day <laughs> wow all right we'll be right back with more from inverse's eric francisco on shang chi and the legend of the ten rings It. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. I'm Colleen Witt. Join me, the host of Eating While Broke podcast, while I eat a meal created by self-made entrepreneurs, influencers, and celebrities over a meal they once ate when they were broke. Today, I have the lovely AJ Crimson, the official princess of Compton, Asia. Kidding, and Asia. This is The Professor. We're here on Eating While Broke, and today I'm going to break down my meal that got me through a time when I was broke. Listen to Eating While Broke on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Eve Rodsky, author of the New York Times bestseller, Fair Play and Find Your Unicorn Space, activist on the gender division of labor, attorney, and family mediator. And I'm Dr. Aditi Narukar, a Harvard physician and medical correspondent with an expertise in the science of stress, resilience, mental health, and burnout. We're so excited to share our podcast, Time Out, a production of iHeart Podcasts and Hello Sunshine. We're uncovering why society makes it so hard for women to treat their time with the value it deserves. So take this time out with us. Listen to Time Out, a fair play podcast on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Welcome back. We're talking with Inverse's Eric Francisco about Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. So I want to talk about how this movie actually came to be made. Now, you contend that the hashtag starring John Cho, which trended in 2016 as a way to advocate for more Asian American actors to be cast in traditional leading roles, actually got the ball rolling on this project. Can you break that down a little bit? Sure thing. Uh, it's very unofficial. Like, I've spoken to a few people from Marvel Studios. It's not like they, you know, hang around the internet all day looking at uh, trending topics necessarily, but they are very aware of what people want and, and what people are looking for. And yes, starring John Cho was just one of a handful of different movements that were going on kind of in the mid-2010s, very not long ago. Like, we're talking five years ago, four years ago. People like William Yu, the creator of starring John Cho, hashtag starring John Cho, he was simply just trying to answer his own what if, you know, that's a Marvel show right now. He was answering his own (laughs) what if. What if Hollywood was a little more inclusive? Because up until that point, Hollywood saw a lot of Asian actors uh, on mainstream television. You had shows like Lost and and Heroes, and Grey's Anatomy. Diverse shows, diverse ensembles, but still no leads. Like, that was the difference. Still no leads. Uh, And William Yu has admitted to me, it's not necessarily about John Cho. It was just, you know, he was using John Cho as a familiar face that people recognize from, like, the American Pie movies to just communicate, like, this is what's possible when you basically open up the doors more to opportunities. And that's what the project was all about. And then, you know, William Yu started a real conversation about, like, oh, why why are, why, why don't we see more people of color on the movie posters even and you know you see them in the movies but you don't see them advertising the movies or leading the movies and 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 whatnot william yu was just one of many people uh there were other people on the internet i think of bill yu he's the blogger of angry asian man started that in like 2001 early internet early early internet but he was one of the first people to talk about asian american identity and cultural issues one of the uh readers of that blog was none other than dave callahan the screenwriter of shang chi and the legend of the ten rings one of his formative moments as an asian american male he told me he was reading angry asian man on the internet that informed him to like uh, acknowledge questions and things that he was feeling all this time but was kind of suppressing because he grew up in a very white neighborhood so yes there was a whole generation of asian americans that informed each other spoke to to each other, fostered a community, and that kind of got the ball rolling for a demand for, hey, let's see more of us in the mainstream. Again, there was no necessarily no formal movement. There was no like p- petition to get such and such character their own movie. It was just fostering an audience, uh, an informed audience and on, on what we're looking for and what we need and what we want from, you know, the powers that be. And that's really what it was about. And so, yeah, uh, at some point in 2018, when Marvel saw both the success of their own Black Panther movie and also the blockbuster success of Crazy Rich Asians, obviously the gears started rolling internally and they're like, oh, we do have this character that we could create for you know all of our marvel fans the diverse marvel audience but also for this underrepresented audience that clearly wants to spend money on seeing these movies and we have this power because we have the ip uh so that's basically what happened no i just i love the power of the internet because then simu leo actually almost basically kind of tweeted his own casting into existence like he did that is crazy that is i mean what what i mean like i what have we tweeted you know uh, what do we want in, in this <laughs> right. life and what have we tweeted you know it's 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 uh, the power of manifestation man i that's something that blows my mind it is real <laughs> I want a million dollars. I'm going to tweet that now. Right. Tweet that <laughs> Yeah, right say now. it now. Tweet it out now. <laughs> you know, something that's super huge is that this film is not out on Disney Plus right now. It's only been released exclusively in theaters. Why was it so important for the film's supporters that this happened? 
Yeah. Um, it mattered that we met Shang-Chi on the big screen. You can make arguments here or there, but the, the implicit message was that Shang-Chi is important. Like, like this is an important character for a lot of people. And the fact that if he doesn't come out exclusively on the big screen, there is an, an implicit, whether deserved or not, there's an implicit message that this character matters less than the other Avengers mm. that you, you came to know and love. You can dispute that. That's totally within your right, uh, especially right now. The, the pandemic continues to be a very problematic thing, obviously. But I can't help but kind of nod my head at what Callahan said to me, which is, yes, it, it, it matters that there's a generation of diverse audiences, Asian Americans included, that see this hero on the big screen where they also fell in love with all of their other favorite heroes too. And again, uh, Callahan made sure not to disparage anyone doing anything for streaming. Uh, Cause that's in a very, we're, we're in a transition period in Hollywood where it matters less how audiences access things, but in some ways it's, that still does matter uh, how, how you meet characters and how you uh, meet narratives for the first time. And again, there's a lot of exciting characters coming down the pipeline. Uh, I'm so excited for Moon Knight. I'm so excited for Hawkeye. I'm so excited for uh, Miss Marvel especially, but uh, it really did matter that we meet Shang-Chi on the big screen. Now, I mean, I've seen the movie. I saw it a couple of weeks ago, and I was just so obsessed with it. And I'm so glad that other people are obsessed with it. Like, ever since it came out, like, the reaction has been overwhelmingly positive. People love it. And it even seems to have fans rediscovering other major action stars like Michelle Yeoh because of it. And I mean, I just think that a lot of people only remember her from Crazy Rich Asians, but you know, she has this huge IMDb page, like massive. So I don't know, just like in general, does all of this make you optimistic about seeing more AAPI representation in the superhero genre in the future? Of course, of of, of course. Uh, very quickly, uh, uh, something I want to mention is that there's something called the representation sweats or rep sweats, where it's like, because we get these opportunities so few and far between, we begin to put so many hopes and dreams on a particular project, maybe undeservedly, maybe unfairly. But just because, you know, we don't get this so often, we invest so much into it emotionally uh, and that we begin to sweat whether or not it's like, well, is it any good? <laughs> I'm glad to say uh, Shang-Chi uh, fulfilled the rep sweats very well. It was uh, it yes. was actually mm -hmm. very good. Uh, and yeah, I think one of the most important things uh, is that this was a Marvel project and this, this was one of the biggest platforms available in pop culture today. There's amazing, amazing Asian and Asian American and Asian diaspora stories coming out in independent cinema. You know, obviously, Parasite won Best Picture uh, just just not very long ago. That was a wonderful story. And there was also Minari, uh, another story about the Asian Americans experience specifically. That said, like, I have a lot of friends who are not necessarily clued in with, with cinema uh, as, as an entity. They just like they just like movies. And it's harder to convince them. I, this is going to sound painful, but like I have had no luck convincing people close to me to watch Parasite, Minari, or other movies that like, you know, resonate with the Asian American experience, but they will go see a Marvel movie because like they know what to expect because they're expecting, you know, this bombastic superhero movie with a formula that they recognize. Uh, so uh, my hope is, is that with a movie like Shang-Chi, you know, we are seeing it now. We are seeing people finally discover Tony Leung and Michelle Yeoh and discover martial arts movies for the first time. And hopefully that will just expand their horizons in general. And they, they will discover the riches that all of Asian cinema has to offer, not just in Hollywood, but abroad, people are going to discover more movies that already exist. They'll get excited for movies that are coming out. And yeah, in Hollywood, it proves that 
there is an audience who wants something more than just what we've been getting for 20 years, 30 years. I love Superman, but you know, let's see another, let's see another character, you know? Yes, absolutely. Well, Eric, thank you so much for joining us. This has been amazing. (laughs) I'm so honored to be here. Thank you guys again so much. All right, that's it for today. Come back and join us tomorrow. And remember, theater is technically correct. (laughs) It is. (laughs) Be sure to subscribe to BuzzFeed Daily on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to come back for more of what you love about BuzzFeed coming to you daily. 